Hello and welcome to Psychology in Seattle. I'm your host, Kirk Honda, professor and licensed therapist. Today I'm just going to play a clip from the Andrew Wall Show in which I was a guest. I thought I would just play it and then talk a little bit afterwards. So let's just get to that clip. Again, this is the Andrew Wall Show on Cairo here in Seattle. Uh, so I got to say, I'm not proud of this. I wouldn't usually admit to this, but hey, I'm on the radio. Why not? I'm kind of an armchair psychologist, I think. It's not a good trait to be. But, you know, like I must have said that a million people have Asperger's. Ever since I found out what Asperger's were, was, now I'm going around all the time. It's like, oh, yeah, that guy's got Asperger's. Like, no, no, it was just like an awkward five-minute conversation you had. It doesn't mean he has Asperger's. But I, in my mind, everybody, unless you're Alec Baldwin, you got Asperger's, basically. You know, I see somebody, um, I see a cat meow after its owner leaves the room. I'm like, oh, yeah, that cat's got separation anxiety or something along the lines of that. So, uh, our our friend Kirk Honda decided to call our bluff a little bit here. He's a uh, faculty. He sits on the faculty at Antioch University. He's a licensed therapist, and he's got this podcast called the Psych. It's called the Psychology in Seattle podcast. Sorry, I don't know why I said that. Like it surprised me. <laughs> it was hard to read on my papers. I think you have Asperger's. I think I've diagnosed you just now with Asperger's. Yes, I think so. We got Kirk Honda on the line here, and he's going to find out exactly how much Mark, Nick, and I actually um, know about psychology. Hey. How's it going, hey, Kirk? Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you? Good, good. Sorry I messed up the name of your podcast. That's all right. We'll just say it a billion times. Psychology uh, in Seattle podcast. Psychology <laughs> in Seattle podcast. Well, um, so you wanted to put our knowledge to the test. So you have some true and false questions that you're going to run by us? That's right. So this is a game we like to play on my podcast called Psychology in Seattle. What's it called? Uh, the Psychology in Seattle podcast. Oh, okay, uh, gotcha. Can be found at psychologyinseattle.com. Um, I'll provide a statement. You tell me if you think it's true or false, and then you tell me why you think it's true or false. Make sense? Yeah, and are you analyzing us as well? Like, Are you just figuring out whether or not we're smart, or are you also going to be like kind of figuring out if we have some sort of deep-seated issues? Well, shrinks are always doing that, so yes, I will definitely be doing that. I am trying to remember why I agreed to this. All right, I think Nick has some special music. Ah, yes. Let's just let it play for a little bit. Yeah. Psychology in Seattle. <laughs> All right, Kirk. What is your first true or false question for us? We're going to bring Nick into this as well, by the way. Oh, cool. So, number one, true or false? Men who are born without a sense of smell have more sexual partners in life. Again, true or false, men who are born without a sense of smell have more sexual partners in life. True or false, what do you think? I'm going to go with true on that. Why do you think that? And I think that because, so if, if they are born without a sense of smell, and I, I'm not getting kind of gross or weird here, but I sort of feel like they might just be less discriminating in general. Okay, okay, I like it, I like it. Others? What do you think, Mark? I think this is finally the night that I'm going to get your FCC license Yeah, yeah, yanked. I'm worried about I'm worried about everybody's answer to this question. Keep it clean, man. Well, I was initially thinking along your lines, but then I remembered that men are highly responsive to uh, smell, particularly, oh. particularly things you wouldn't even guess, like pumpkin. So I'm going to say false. Oh, okay. yeah, no, that's a compelling argument. All right, Nick, what do you... I'm going with false because smell is closely tied to memory. And I feel like when people are around smells that they really like, it brings up good memories, and then they end up mating with people. Wait, wait, wait. Okay. Wait, wait. So a true would mean that, yes, they end up having more sexual partners, right? Uh, 
Uh, true would you mean you agree with the statement that men who are born without a sense of smell have more sexual partners. And Nick is going with so false. With false. Then. Why? I'm confused about that. Because smell is closely linked to memory. I see. If they have a nice memory, then they might have more sex with more people. There you go. Huh, because okay. I was thinking, like, if you had a better memory, well, then you would remember all the good times you had with your partner, and you would never want to let her go. But anyway, let's uh, put that aside for a second. You got one true, that's me. You got two falses. Those are the smart answers. Kirk. So the answer is false. So according to a Swedish study, so consider that, men who could smell reported an average of nine sexual partners over their lifetime, whereas men born without a sense of smell reported having only three. What do you think of that? Why? Uh, they didn't talk about why. And, well, you made uh, us talk about why. <laughs> yeah, what the hell? Well, um, I could speculate that it has to do with reading social cues, and mm. smell has something to do with that. The research is a little spotty at this point, but being able to smell how people smell has something to do with reading how they're feeling and will likely lead to better relationships and perhaps more likely to have sex with more people. I don't know. I'm just speculating. That's that's pretty close to what you were saying, Mark, basically, right? Yeah, and I thought part of the game was you had to know the answers to your questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know it's false. That's, that's as much as I know, but... You know, scientists don't like to say we know, you know, firm answers. They like to say, well, here's what the research, here's what the data says. It's unclear as to why that is. Okay. Um, you got another one queued up there? Well, just as a point of interest before going on to number two, they also looked at women. And women who were born without a sense of smell had the same amount of sexual partners as those who could not smell, but they reported being more insecure in their relationships. Isn't that interesting? Yes. Yes, and that seems that that seems to jibe with what I would expect. I think if you can, yeah. if you if you are missing a sense, then there's a good chance that you're just going to be basically insecure. I thought that if you couldn't ridicule the way a man smells, then you wouldn't think that you had the upper hand. I could also see, yeah, people who like women without a sense of smell, or even men without a sense of smell, maybe being in longer term relationships because you're you're just going to be more tolerant to um, possibly a dirty partner. Right, so that was something I was thinking as well, but I didn't want to say it because I didn't want to be gross. But, yeah, no, I'm yeah. trying. That's that's why I feel like we started with one that just that led so many roads to grossness, and I think we mostly avoided them. Hey, listen, Kirk, hang on for a second, okay? We're going to take a brief pause in the action here, but you have a whole bunch of more questions you're going to ask us. We're going to learn more about psychology, but more importantly, more about ourselves in just a second. You're listening to The John Curley Show with Andrew Walsh here on Cairo Radio. Stay with us. You're listening to The John Curley Show with Andrew Walsh. John Curley couldn't be here tonight. He's hosting mornings from 9 to noon this week. Mark Rahner is in here with us. We have a special guest on the phone, Kirk Honda. He's a faculty member at Antioch University, a licensed therapist and host of this podcast. What is the name of it? It's something like the the Psychology in Seattle podcast or something along the lines of that. Yeah, well, let me ask you before I provide the next statement. uh, Do you guys play video games? I, I do um, just a couple. Like, I play Mario Kart. I play Civilization Five. Ooh. Yeah, and I play um, Madden on my Wii. Those are the only okay. th- things I play. What about you? I play the video games where you shoot people in the face from a first-person point of do view. Do you really? Are you yeah. a big gamer in that stuff? Well, just those kind of. That, that's it. And Nick, I think you are kind of dabble, right? I play a lot of Madden puzzle games and uh, action role-playing games. Okay. 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 Well, you guys really run the gamut here. All right. Number two, true or false? 
A recent study suggests that the negative effects of playing violent video games may accumulate over time and lead to increases in aggressive behavior. True or false? What do you think? True. Absolutely true. Why do I think that? Because I think I've read it somewhere. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) when, When Mark plays violent video games, does he become more aggressive over time, do you think? I think that violent video games, he may not become more aggressive outwardly, but I believe that he may become uh, more desensitized, especially if he started at an earlier age, and that uh, desensification could possibly lead to um, less inhibition when it comes to violent situations. That's what I'm going to say. I started out aggressive is the problem, so there's not really any accurate way to measure this. I'm going to say false, because... I, I've written about this uh, to, to some extent, and I've read quite a bit of the research. Now, I'm not doubting that there could be a new study that came out saying the opposite. However, I also believe that human beings are agents of free choice, and video games don't make us do anything. So, false. Oh, no. I'm going with false because I've been oh. brainwashed by the Second Amendment Foundation. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne LaPierre has gotten to you. He does his job well. Wait, you, you're going to go with false? I am going with false, though. For real. Well, what do you think? What do you think, Nick? When you play violent video games, does it afterwards do you feel a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more pumped up? I do, but in a playful way. I realize that I just did something where I was handling a gun in a video game, and now I'm kind of pantomiming it in real life. I'm not necessarily more aggressive. I uh, knew this guy who ran a movie theater in New Hampshire, and he had a midnight showing of um, the Mad Max movie. I think it was the second Mad Max movie, the the, the best Mad Max the movie. The Road Warrior. The Road Warrior, thank you. And he said that um, afterwards you could hear tires squealing all night as people ripped out of the parking lot. Well, that's fun. That's different. Yeah. That's not like shooting somebody in the face. Right. Well, so... So, Andrew, when you play Mario Kart, do you, like, drive a little bit more reckless on the road? Yeah. I'm not even joking. I'm not even joking. Especially in the old car that we had, it was a little bit more of a zippy car. And I found myself, at times, driving around corners a lot faster and almost instinctively... It kind of expecting my back wheels to spin a little bit. I'm not even joking about that. And I realized I was like, Walsh, cool it. You're you're being you got to calm down. Right. OK, well, the statement is true. Now, you guys yes! are obviously pretty versed in the research and there are lots of different contradictory studies. But this one particular study was in France and they studied 70 French university students and they had them play a, a violent video game or a nonviolent video game for 20 minutes on three consecutive days. And the students who played a violent video game showed an increase in aggressive behavior, whereas those who played a non-violent video game showed no increase in aggressive behavior. All right. Can I challenge that for a second? Sure. You can, but we may run And You know what? Okay, make it quick, guys, because we're going to have to do one lightning round here after Three this. days is a short amount of time, and it doesn't necessarily show aggression over a long period of time, and that's pretty much all I wanted to say And about it's that. the French. I don't recognize the validity of the French at all. All I know is... <laughs> Sounds like I got that one right, and a couple people got it wrong, and now they're trying to undermine us. With an asterisk, please. Okay, we have uh, we only have a couple of minutes here. So, uh, Kirk, why don't you give us our last question? Okay, so true or false? According to a U.S. study, when parents are honest with their children about their regret over their own past substance use, those children are more likely to view drugs as bad, as opposed to children of parents who do not disclose their past substance use. True or false? Uh, I kind of lost that. So in other words, if I'm a parent and I admit to my kids that I might have done drugs, the kid and will you, most likely, will more likely do drugs? So if, you, if you're a parent and you tell your kid, man, I used drugs in the past and I really regret it and I don't want you to use drugs, I'm, this statement is, 
the child is less likely to use drugs. False. I don't think so. I think okay, there are. Fine. I think there are just so many complicated, um, so many complicated factors that go into whether or not somebody tries drugs. I think it, a lot of that probably has to do maybe even more nature than nurture, and uh, and that's why I'm going to say that that's false. I say false because people want to rebel against their kids and because drugs are fun and they make you feel good. Their parents. They want to rebel against their parents. Yeah. Some people do want to rebel against their kids. They're called horrible parents. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> I'm going to be getting a vasectomy as soon as I leave the studio tonight. But you get the idea. All right, Nick. I'm going with false because I think it's a wash. I don't think there's significant difference on either side. All right. So we're all saying false on this one. Well, you're all right. It is. Ah. Oh. Great. But, but, here's the, but here's the thing. Uh, according to the research and according to my clinical experience, about a third of my practice is with teens and, and their parents. I found that, uh, and according to the research, when parents talk about their regret having used drugs in the past, it actually increases the likelihood of the child using drugs. Because, I believe that. Yeah, because kids say that, oh, well, you did it, so why can't I? And look, uh, you came I, and you turned out fine. I'll just try it a little bit, too, right. and, uh, and then I'll just quit like you did. Right. But it's somewhat counterintuitive because if the parents are saying, look what I did, don't make the same mistakes that I did, you would think the kids would listen. But I think most parents and teenagers understand that kids don't necessarily learn from their parents' verbal mistakes, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely, because they didn't they didn't actually... Um they didn't actually experience the mistakes themselves. There's such a huge difference, I think, as, as young people, um, them understanding and being able to kind of visualize, almost having like object permanence when it comes to the issues that uh, adults tell you about and when you're actually just kind of like confronted with a joint at a party or something along the lines of that. Kirk, Honda, thank you so much for uh, taking the time. This was your idea. It was tons of fun. We should do it again sometime. Yeah, let's do it again. All right. Thanks so much. That's Kirk Honda. Apparently, he has some podcast. We have no idea what the name of it is. There's no documentation of it whatsoever. Just kidding. It's the, it's the Psychology in Seattle podcast. He's also faculty at Antioch University and a licensed therapist. You are listening to The John Curley Show with Andrew Walsh. Mark Ronner filling in tonight. I'm Andrew. Uh, we got a whole lot more show coming up. Stay tuned. All right. Well, that was fun. That was the clip there. Just a little bit about video games and violence. I think that it's worth uh, commenting on a little bit. I think that often in the media, people reduce the discussion to a very simple question. Do video games cause people to go on killing sprees? You know, like the Adam Lanza case and others, they will often find that these individuals play violent video games and then people start pointing fingers at those video games as a possible cause, if not the cause. And then people that play video games are saying, hey, we're all playing video games and we're not going on killing sprees, so lay off video games, everything's fine. And it becomes this very dichotomous view. It's either do you know video games kill and people are saying they don't do anything to anybody well it's much more nuanced than that as all things just to summarize like you know thousands of research studies and of course that i haven't read but uh, I've, I've read enough to be able to say this it is shown that on average when people play violent video games they tend to show a little bit more aggressive behavior afterwards now have they shown that playing video games for 10 years results in you being 100% more aggressive than someone who doesn't? No, they haven't shown that. But they have been able to, sh to show that when they take uh, you know, a group of young men and they have them play violent video games and then they take another group of men and they have them play just regular video games, they, they do find that there is an increase in aggressive behavior. Now, what does that mean? Well, that typically means 
a little bit more anger, a little bit more hostility, a little bit more frustration in other people, a little bit more outward behaviors towards others. It doesn't mean that they've shown that video games cause people to suddenly exhibit behavior that they're not capable of doing anyway. And the idea that it makes people a little bit more aggressive is not that big of a deal. It's something that we should be looking at for sure, particularly on a case-by-case basis, because I'm a therapist. I work directly with people, and I think that these studies are interesting, you know, but what does it really say about individuals? And what I would say is that clinicians out there, including myself, should be mindful of this research. When we are treating people and we see that they have a risk of being harmful to other people, we should probably look at their video games and see if we can help them by choosing different video games for them. For instance, you you have a 13-year-old boy who is being very hostile with his parents and he's, you know, getting into some fights at school and he is aggressive verbally with his teachers. Well, let's say that he's also playing a lot of video games at home and a lot of them are very violent, killing people, this sort of thing. Well, it might be worth reducing his violent video game play if if not completely eliminating it and seeing if that has an effect on the behaviors that the therapy is trying to reduce. I would say that given the research, there's a good likelihood that it's going to reduce it somewhat. But you have to balance that out with how angry is the kid going to be if he doesn't get his violent video games? And can you use those video games that he loves so much as an incentive to keep him from getting in trouble at school? Like, for instance, you, you know, you could say, well, you could play these video games even though they're violent if you have a good report from your teachers at school that day. So you might even be able to use violent video games as an incentive to reduce aggressive behavior in somebody. So it gets very complex on a, on a, on a basic level. But I think it is important to know that when we have people that are going on killing sprees, that video games should be looked at. But are they the cause? And should we eliminate all violent video games from our society? I don't know the answer to that. As a person who plays video games myself, I would say no, because that would be lame. But maybe we need to look at our culture regarding video games and children. I would say that there are a lot of parents out there that don't know how violent the video games are that their kids are playing. You know, a 10-year-old is saying, oh my God, I really want Call of Duty. It's just the best game ever. The parents go out and buy it for Christmas. They hand it over. The kid goes into the den or into his bedroom and plays this game or goes to his friend's house, for that matter, and plays the video game. And the parents never see how violent it is. And this kind of gets under their skin a little bit. Is it going to cause them to go on a killing spree? Probably not. That is not a capability for most people. But is it going to make them a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more desensitized to violence? Is it going to make them a little bit less likely to care about other human beings because they're seeing so many virtual human beings being killed all the time on the screen? I don't know. Maybe. Again, on an individual level, it's worth looking at. And parents and therapists and other clinicians should keep that in mind. All right. That's that's the end of that rant. Okay, well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining me. And if Andrew Walsh is listening, thank you for letting me come on your show and talk about various things. So, people out there, um, if you would like, you can go to our website, psychologyinseattle.com, and there you can find lots of really wonderful things, including the Support Us page, which I have to say, um, you know, a very small minority of you are visiting and doing things. But uh, if, if you enjoy the show, uh, remember that the fuel in our engine is your support. Without you doing something, 
either just emailing us or donating or liking us on Facebook or commenting on Facebook or whatever. Those are the things that keep us going. If we don't get those things, then we, we just go, well, our engine has no fuel and we'll just pull over and slowly die. So you don't want us to slowly die in the cold on a highway in the middle of Montana, do you? I mean, come on, go to the support us page, right? Okay, well, people out there, please take care of yourself because you deserve it. And I say that uh, often at the end of the show that you deserve it, and I, I really want to say that you really do because um, I say that not as just you know a flippant thing. I, I really do believe that um, everyone deserves to be taken care of and everyone deserves to take care of themselves. Everyone deserves to have the things that they need in order to thrive. So think about what those are and get them because you deserve them. Okay. All right. Take care. Bye.